everyone. Um, I'm Janet B. Recovered from Compulsive Eating and Bulimia. And again, welcome on this happy Dependence Day where we um, learn to depend on God. And that's exactly what we are um, going to be talking about tonight. So last week I was on vacation. Awesome. Um, it was great, but it's great to be back. The week before, we had started a sponsorship workshop. So because people wanted to know, they said, okay, I'm through the steps, but I'm kind of a little new at this. So do you have any guidance? So we just decided to do about maybe four workshops on how to sponsor. And so again, not offered as the way to sponsor, but as a way to sponsor, right? There's some things that are kind of non-negotiable, like we all have to do a fourth step in inventory um, of our resentments and our fears, et cetera. But people have, you know, different lists and different ways to go about it. So again, this is just one way. So the first week we went through the first couple of steps. We went through first qualifying someone because when we're sponsoring someone, just like if I'm hiring someone for a job, I want to know the person has the requirements. And if I'm going to be taking the time to take someone through the steps, I want to know that they have the requirements to be sponsored. Not everyone who asks for a sponsor is entitled to be sponsored. And that's not according to me. That's according to the big book. On page 58, it says, if you have decided you want what we have, and what do we have? A spiritual experience as a result of these steps, which vanquish, vanquishes the compulsive eating and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then, and I say, then and only then, are you ready to take certain steps? So we wanna find out if this person wants what we have and if they're willing to do the work. And then laid out kind of what is expected of sponsees. Again, different sponsors have different requirements. In a nutshell, I ask people or tell people what they need to do if they wanna work with me is have a food plan that's weighed and measured and texted to me before breakfast every day, 30 minutes with God every morning, prayer, meditation, spiritual reading, because if we want to get a relationship with God, if that's our solution, we need to spend time with God. So we learn how to do that. Three phone calls a day, the meetings, I expect them to go. And three phone calls doesn't mean three messages left on answering machines, three connections. And I give them a dozen numbers of people who have strong recovery um, so that they can start developing a friendship. And almost everyone at first says, I don't wanna do it. But when they do it after a week or so, they say, this is so great. I've just developed a community. So again, we've got our relationship with God that, we're, that we have them starting to build and a relationship with their fellows. Um, and then I generally tell them every day to do something for someone else. And it's even better if no one knows about it. Stretch yourself, put your mind to thinking about others, right? The book says our constant thought of others and how we can help meet their needs is what our lives depend upon. And then we talked about a first step and how to take a first step. Um, how to really help a person see that there's a disconnect in their brain that keeps them from remembering that if I have one whatever, I will end up eating the whole box, carton, house, whatever. 
um, that, and we really go through and make sure a person understands it. But we can't stop there, right? Just if, um, if we're told, let's say, that we have um, bronchitis, well, great, I have a diagnosis. I'm not going to get better just because the doctor tells me I have bronchitis. Now I need to know what the treatment is. And our treatment is, we talked about um, last time, finding a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem, accessing the power of God and starting to develop a relationship with God. So step two is all about finding kind of the blocks, the spiritual cataracts we have that help us from, that keep us from seeing that God exists. And our book tells us that as soon as we come to believe that, yes, there is a God who can restore us to sanity, we're on our way, but it's not enough. Again, I've got bronchitis. The doctor says, okay, this penicillin will cure you. And I say, great, I believe this penicillin will cure my bronchitis. That doesn't do me any good until I surrender to the protocol of taking the penicillin twice a day or whatever the protocol is and do the work. So our next part, step three, we're going to talk about surrender. And we started a bit on step three last week, last June 23rd. And we, st we started by talking about honesty, that if we're not honest, we tell our sponsees, um, don't even bother trying to recover, it won't work. And so at this point, when we begin working on step three, I always have a discussion with them about honesty and say, okay, we've been working together now a few days, maybe a couple of weeks. Tell me, is there any hidden dishonesty in your life? I give them a chance. And if there is, I don't drop them. I just say, thank you for telling me. And remember, if there's honesty, it's like you took a big black magic marker and wrote the words, keep out God on your heart. So can we agree that going forward, there will be no dishonesty, right? We want to be firm, but loving, right? If my sponsor dropped me every time I did something wrong, I would never have a sponsor. Um, so we want to be, again, loving, but firm. So we left off um, at the very top of page 59. We stopped with, without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power that one is God, may you find him now. So now we're gonna continue with our next um, step on the road to finding God or letting ourselves be found by God and how to work with the sponsee on that. So I have my sponsee just um, pick up their start reading on page 59 with half measures. And then again, I try to do this on Zoom or FaceTime because I'm constantly interrupting them not because I'm, I mean, I may be rude, but that's not why, because I want to comment on, on what's being read, because this is how I'm teaching them. So again, I would encourage you to work on FaceTime or Zoom. It also helps to build a connection. So um, Julie, if you could be my fake sponsee of the night, um, page 59 to start with half measures, and I'll just keep interrupting you. Okay. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Okay, so that's okay. So there, we asked his protection and care with complete abandon. So if you were here before, 
remember was like, I tell my sponsees, it's like, we're going on a treasure hunt for God. And back in We Agnostic, it gives us four clues about God in that one paragraph. God has a consciousness, is smart, strong, and cares about me. And now we have two more clues. So I tell my sponsee, we ask his protection and care. That means God is going to protect me. And that means God cares about me. And then I give them um, my little like corny example back from middle school. And I say, okay, protection and care. So I tell my sponsee, like, so imagine like the serfs and the kings back in the olden days that you learned about in like eighth grade social studies where the serfs worked the king's land and the king protected the serfs. So if the invading armies come to attack, the king will has, have them pull up the drawbridges and if you're on the king's land, you are safe and protected. But if a serf wanders off the king's land and says, you know what? I don't wanna to listen to the king. I think I can do better on my own um, and goes off. Well, then when the invaders come and the drawbridges come up, the serf isn't on the land safe and protected, not because the king stopped loving the serf, but because the serf left. How do we leave the king's land? By willfully not resolving resentments, by doing things we know that the king doesn't want us to do. So, but the point is to understand that we are safe and protected as long as we're with God. So let's keep going and figure out how we're gonna get, get there, get and stay on the land. Okay. There are other steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. Okay. And then wow. I generally ask the sponsee to just, you know, sometimes go through all 12 and sometimes just read one where we start and then read 12 where we end up. We admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics, overeaters, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Many is, of us explained. So okay. I say, like, look where we start out. We start out powerless and unmanageable, but we do this work, and then your sleeping soul will wake up as the result of these steps. And then your job is to carry this message to other compulsive eaters and practice the principles of this program. And, you know, you might want to tell them that on our website, um, Karen made a list of all the spiritual principles in the big book. So if they want to know what they can start practicing now, they can print it out and start practicing. Okay. Many of us explained, what an order. I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Okay, and at this point, I say that line, we claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. I say, you know that line you may have heard at meetings, it's progress, not perfection um, when it comes to food plans. 
I say that is not what they mean, right? No alcoholic could go to AA and say, well, I used to get drunk five times a week and I only got drunk three times this week and that's progress. They would say, sit down and be quiet. You got nothing. So I say, you know, they're talking about spiritual progress and spiritual perfection, not sticking to a food plan perfection. And then I um, spend a lot of time on the ABCs because this is where if we get tripped up on this, we don't make a real surrender. So, I'll, so this part I generally read to the person. I say, okay, do you believe that you're a compulsive eater and can't manage your own life? And generally it's yes. And then I say, okay, do you believe that no human power could relieve your compulsive eating? No group, no therapist, not you yourself, not your husband, not your kids. Generally it's yes. And then, okay, let's go to C, we're on page 60. It says that God could and would if he were sought. So we want to um, break this down into just very small bites so that if someone's stuck, we can help them see exactly what they're stuck on. So see that God could, let's say, do you believe that God could for other people? And they generally, I mean, they have to say yes. If they've been going to meetings for any length of time, yes, I've seen it for other people. Yes, he can do it for some, for uh, other people. Okay, do you believe he could do it for you? If he wanted to, he may not want to, but could he if he wanted to, right? And we're still on logic. Well, okay, if he could for them, he could for me. He may not want to though. And then do you believe he will if you seek him? And this is often where people say, no, he could, but he won't for me. And so we have to figure out why, right? Why do you think he won't? And I've thought of, um, I thought of five or six reasons. So, and I go through them with my sponsees and we work through them. So here they are. The first is if someone says, I don't deserve it because I've done this really bad thing or some really bad things. I mean, and that probably was me. I had done some like really bad things. I would like, I faked muggings. I mean, I actually like took razors and cut myself up and faked muggings. Like, you know, and that was some, and to get attention. So that was some pretty bad stuff. Um, so if that's the case, you can always tell your sponsee, great, all the founders of this program were in the same boat as you, and that's why there's a ninth step and you'll get to fix it. And then they say, well, he might help people um, with like cancer because they like clearly didn't cause it, but I caused this illness. Now, first, you know, we could debate on whether we caused this or whether we had no choice, but I think there's an easier way to do it and say, okay, let's assume that you caused it. May, may or not be true, but okay, let's assume you're correct and you caused it. So let's say you were crossing the street, looking at your cell phone while you're crossing the street, not paying attention, got hit by a truck, broke both your legs and the ambulance came. Would you tell the ambulance driver, 
don't take me to the hospital. It's my fault. I wasn't looking when I crossed the street. Just leave me with two broken legs for the rest of my life. We would never do that, right? Um, so it doesn't matter when we, even if we've caused it, we're fine going to a doctor for help, but suddenly like when it comes to God, it's like, we don't want to bother God. And I say like, it's okay. Bother God the same way you're going to bother the ambulance driver. It's okay. Um, the third thing is if someone says, I don't deserve it because I'm just not worthy. This is different than I've done a bad thing because then like I could name it. Oh, I faked muggings, I, you know, so God won't help me. But this, the person, they can't name something bad they've done. They just feel shame, unworthiness. And they say, I'm just not worthy. And then I say, okay, you have two options. You could go spend like $10,000 on a therapist who will try and help you get good self-esteem and tell you that you're worthy. Or I'll tell you this to your face, you're not worthy. And then usually it's like, what? Cause people don't expect to hear. It's like, yeah, you're not worthy. And neither was I, and neither are any of us. Worthiness is not a requirement. You can look all through the big book. You will never see that worthiness is a requirement to get better only willingness is. So yeah, you're not worthy. Great. It doesn't matter. And so that's, I would think out of all the um, roadblocks someone has, that's the number one roadblock. Um, but there's two more that are, you know, pretty substantial. I've tried this so many times before and it doesn't work. And again, I'd been in OA for six and a half years, about 50 different sponsors before I recovered. And if that happens, I pick up my cell phone and I say, you know, I could try a thousand times to take a picture with my cell phone by pushing the on off button and I'm not going to take a picture. But as soon as someone comes in and says to me, you know, my kid, mom, you're pushing the wrong button. It's this one. It doesn't matter if it's my first day holding a cell phone or if I've been trying to take pictures with a cell phone for six and a half years. If I'm shown the right button and I'm willing to follow the directions, suddenly I can take pictures. Doesn't matter how long I've been unable to. Um, and the last one is if someone says, it says God could and would if he were sought. And if someone says, I'm not sure I'm seeking him. That's the only valid thing. If someone says, yeah, I'm not seeking him. I don't really care. Well, then I would say, make a list of all the things you think God wants you to do that you're not willing to do. And let's look at them. And usually by this point, if someone's to the third step, once they try to make a list, they see, oh yeah, I guess I really am seeking him. I'm doing my 30 minutes with God every day. I'm following the directions of my sponsor, um, you know, making friends in the fellowship. I'm doing the work, getting in the weeds to see what's blocking me from God. Yeah, I guess I am seeking him. And then it's like, okay, so now do you believe that God could and would if he were sought? And generally by this point, it's yes. But again, I think these ABCs as sponsors, 
is one of the points where it's like the most important to do the work because we can't go through the steps. I mean, for instance, we can't, um, we can't really even do a fourth step and look at our part until we've really surrendered to God and believe that God, that God is going to protect me and care for me. So it's just critical that we really take the time and go through those ABCs carefully. And then after that, it's like, great, being convinced, being convinced of what? That God could and would, if he were sought, we were at step three, which is we decided to turn our will and life over to God as we understood him. That's kind of a, like a hard concept, right? We've heard it so many times. We don't think about it like, turn my will and life over to God. Well, what's my will? What's my life? Like, what the heck does that all mean? And it says, okay, what do we mean by that? And what do we do? And then I tell my sponsor, okay, the next couple paragraphs, I want you to read it in the first person, say either I or say your name where it says the actor. So Julie, you want to go ahead where it starts with the first requirement is that I be convinced or that Julie be convinced either way. The first requirement is that I be convinced that my life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, I am almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though my motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor. Who well, wants I to am like an actor. Show. Oh, I am sorry. I am like an actor who wants to run the whole show. I am forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in my own way. If my arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as I wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including myself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make my arrangements, I, the actor, may sometimes be quite virtuous. I may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, I may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most humans, I am more likely to have varied traits. Okay, one more, please. What usually happens, the show doesn't come off very well. I begin to think life doesn't treat me right. I decide to exert myself more. I become, on the next occasion, Still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit me. Admitting that I may be somewhat at fault, I am sure that other people are more to blame. I become angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is my basic trouble? Am I not really a self-seeker even when I'm trying to be kind? Am I not a victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world? I only manage well? Is it not evident to the, all the rest of the people that these are the things that I want? And do not my actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Am I not, even in my best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? Okay, thanks. And I usually ask the sponsor, okay, how do you feel? And they're, it's like very... Um, the first time someone had me do it, it was very emotional. And it's like, oh my gosh, these two paragraphs are the reasons for all my problems. 
So I would just say also, if you have a sponsee who's struggling with a relationship, especially a family relationship, um, have him or her read these two paragraphs out loud, inserting her name, wherever it says actor. And by the time she does it, she will probably have calmed down and started to see her part. So then I tell my sponsee, um, that this part is important to understand that generally we have goals and the goals are often good ones like raising respectful children, get my husband to stop smoking, something like that. But they're my goals and they're outcome oriented. And it's radically different than when my goal is simply to do God's will. So for example, if my goal is to have respectful children and I try hard to do the right thing, but my kids still aren't respectful, I'll get resentful and fearful and probably start doing wrong things like screaming and manipulating to reach my goal. But if my goal is solely to do God's will, I may still do everything the same and still try my best, but I'm less likely to get angry, fearful and frustrated because I'm not focused on the results like having respectful children, only on my obedience to God. So the goal shifts from achieving something, even if that something is good, to simply doing God's will. Um, so this step is about making a decision to live our lives based on trying to do God's will without being concerned with the outcomes. It's like just a radical paradigm shift of how I'm going to live my life. And that's what the surrender is. So I often, um, you know, might read a little more and then I give them an assignment to go back and um, make a list of the things in their life that would change if they did a third step. So like what would have to change? So for instance, someone might say, I will, I believe God would want me to start giving money to charity. So I would have to start doing that or I will stop reading my husband's or my kid's texts because that's a way I'm trying to control them. Or I will um, take the trash out because I know it's something my husband hates doing and that's a way that I can um, serve him. Like just what would change in your life if you fully surrendered to God? Because remember, the book says that we, we think about it. So I want to, you know, just have people really think about it and be very practical, like what would change? And then I ask them to say, is there anything in your life that you're not willing to completely surrender to God? And I have them come back. So they come back and then um, I just go through the next couple pages with them about surrender and if if they're really ready then you know i go through i give my comments and then at the top of page 63 i tell them okay here's the fruit of the third step that you're going to receive when you do it so it starts with when we sincerely when we sincerely took such a position all sorts of remarkable things followed I had a new employer being all powerful. He provided what I needed if I kept close to him and performed his work well. 
Established on such a footing, I became less and less interested in myself, my little plans and designs. More and more, I became interested in seeing what I could contribute to life. As I felt new power flow in, as I enjoyed peace of mind, as I discovered I could face life successfully, as I became conscious of his presence, I began to lose our, my fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. I was reborn. So I point out there's a formula there, right? It says he provided what we needed if. So here's how to get what we need from God. Not always what we want, but what we need. We have to do two things. Keep close to him. So it's a good thing, right? That we've already started spending 30 minutes with him in the morning and performing his work well. So we're doing those so that's what we do. Keep close to him. Faith, perform his work well, works. And these are the, the results. And then I break down step three for them. You know, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. God, here's the raw material of myself. Take me and do with me whatever you want to. Um, relieve me of the bondage of self because being concerned with myself is bondage um that why so that my life will be great and easy uh-uh so i can better do thy will if i'm all focused on myself i'm not focused on god's will take away my difficulties again why so i'll have an easy fun life uh-uh that victory over them may bear witness to those i would help of three things about god that we're supposed to be witnesses of his power that he's strong enough to do it. His love, that he loves us enough to do this for him. And his way of life, that he has a way of life that we can live. And then we end with the prayer to always do his will. And it says we thought well before making the steps. That's why I give that assignment. Think well, is there anything you are not willing to turn over? And if they um, feel they are, um, there's this little assignment. I have the third step written out in the first person and I send it to them in the first person and I ask them to read it to three people and then ask those three people to pray with them and for them. And it's a very powerful experience, right? A lot of what we do in this program is very um, analytical, right? We do our fourth step inventory, but a lot of it is experience. And this gives us an experience of like, closeness with our fellows and we then we see um and we help the sponsees see are you really willing and then once they do it with three people they do it with me and generally i have them on facetime on zoom we both get on our knees and say the third step prayer together and when they're done i say you are now consecrated consecrated means like set aside specially for God's use, you're consecrated. So the assignment I give them that day usually is, okay, for the rest of the day, no homework. I just want you to enjoy God, right? This is a relationship. In, spend time with God, just enjoying him. And then right after that, it's like, okay, we're going to get to work because it says on the bottom of 63, next we launched out on a course of vigorous action. 
So I'll just quick, uh, again, there's probably as many different ways to do their fourth step as there are different sponsors. So um, here's the way I do it. And we can, people can generally get through it quickly. First, I have them do a defect inventory and the sheet is on our website. There's a list of defects. And I say, if you don't have one of them on the list, leave it out. If you have one that's not on the list, add it. Look up the definition, look up the opposite, and then write down one example of each defect and write down one that's um, like a bad one. So for instance, if it's stealing and you took a piece of bubble gum when you were a kid and you robbed a bank, the bank robbery is gonna go on the list, not the bubble gum theft. And this is because remember, we have to get our secrets out. So this is a way for people to start doing it. Then when they're done with that, and I generally say that should take a day, you get, you get 24 hours. Then I give them the resentment sheet and I read through them about the deadliness of resentments. Um, you know, I generally do that and go through the sections in the book, dealing with resentments, give them my thoughts on it, how it says we can't harbor resentments. We all get them, but we can't be a safe harbor a place for the resentments to dock, right? So we have to have a way to resolve them. So I say, okay, on the resentment sheet, do the first three columns, who you resent, why, and what it affects in you. And I have actually um, a guide, it's on our website. If Denise, if you could put the link there, that'd be awesome. Um, and who you resent, why, and I say, just give me a sentence like subject, predicate, you know, he was mean to me, he gossiped about me, she didn't invite me to the party, and what it affects. And again, I go through the different things, what they mean, self-esteem, security, all that. I say, okay, that should take you a day. Call me when you're done. See, this way, it's not like go off on your own. Here's 50 different instructions for the fourth step. It's like, we're gonna break it down. Okay, do those first three columns. After they do the first three columns, it's like then I go back and read some more about the fourth step, about how we pray for the people, how we pray that God removes the resentment from us, right? It says, God save me from being angry. And I tell them um, to take an hour in prayer, not an hour per person, but an hour of, to pray through all the resentments on the fourth step, because if we're not involving God, then we're just doing like self-therapy and that doesn't help. So we pray. Then I talk to, and again, they get a day, that's it. Then come back and I go over columns four and five, which are the hardest because that's seeing our part. So again, I know some people will say, for each resentment, where have I been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, afraid? I don't do it that way. I just, one sentence, what's my part? And then column five is what were my character defects that caused it? So for instance, it might be, um, she invited Uncle Joe to the wedding and she knows I hate Uncle Joe. Okay, it affects my... It would be ambition, my ambition to have things go the way I want. What's my part? I think people should 
make their plans based on what would make me happy and comfortable. Okay, one sentence, my part. What are my defects there? Probably self-centered, unfair, and that's it. So I tell them to go through, do their columns four and five, let me know when they're done. Um, again, a day, maybe two days. And I say, any that you're stuck on, we'll work on together. We finish that, that's great. Now we're gonna do our fear inventory. We read the section on fear and go through it. It's a very powerful paragraph on fear. I point out the formula there that says, just to the extent that we do as we think he, meaning God would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? So I tell them, see now you have a way to have serenity even when there's calamity. See, we don't wanna go through life and say, oh, I'm only human. Um, yes, we are only human and we make mistakes, but we wanna get, we wanna get better at, at fixing these mistakes to get to the point where things don't bother us so easily, or if they do, we're not seething with anger or you know, cowering with fear for days and weeks on end, that we have a process to resolve them quickly. So if the fear inventory, what's the fear? And then I say, why do we have it? And I say, let's drill down. And I give an example of one that I had. Fear, this was when my daughter was younger, like a teenager. Um, fear of disciplining my 16 year old daughter, why? If I discipline her, then she won't love me. And I keep going. If she, um, wait, if I discipline her, once she's 18, she'll leave the house and never talk to me again. If she leaves the house and doesn't talk to me again, then when I'm an old lady and my husband and son have died, I'll be all alone on Thanksgiving. If I'm all alone on Thanksgiving, I'll be sad. So drill down to I'll be sad or I'll be uncomfortable. And the next column is like, what's my dishonest thinking? And there it might be that I'll be alone on Thanksgiving, that, that she's the only game in town. And if she doesn't invite me, I'll, never, I'll have no place to go. Or that if I'm alone on Thanksgiving, I'll be sad. I have plenty of times I've been alone and it was fine. So I look at my dishonest thinking. I tell them to go do those three columns and then pray. Ask God to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be or do. You know, again, I, I'm not going to get hung up on in one place it says be, on one place it says do. What action should we take? So on that one with my daughter, it would be discipline her appropriately, right? Because to not do so is selfish. Sometimes if our fear is like fear of death, fear of our kids dying, our husbands dying, the action might be stay in the day, right? Just focus on the day. Because remember, if we are looking in the future, we're not in our lane anymore. We have to stay in our lane, focusing on God. The future is always in another lane. Well, not always, right? We're supposed to like um, responsibly plan for our retirement. But thinking about like someone's death who's not even sick, future, other lane, we don't go there. Um, and then I have them do a list of the harms they've done 
that will refine in the eighth step. I just say who you hurt, what you did, how it hurt them, right? Because I could punch someone in the nose. That's what I did. How did it hurt them? Well, maybe they had a $2,000 doctor bill if I broke their nose, or maybe they were just embarrassed in front of their friends. So, and I'll need that in step eight to know what the proper amend is. But for now, it's what, who I hurt, what I did, how it hurt them, and what I should have done instead. So we learn correct behavior. And um, then a sex inventory, which is pretty similar, who I hurt, what I did, what I should have done instead. Did I needlessly arouse jealousy, envy, suspicion, and the like? And then finally, a sex ideal, which is how am I going to act in my future um, relationships? And if someone is married or in a serious relationship, I direct them to um, a podcast that was super helpful to me on relationships. It's by Gina R. And it was on a vision for you on, I'll give you the date if anyone wants to look it up, January 27th. 2019 something um gina did with melissa and another guy so gina's is on the sex ideal but as a bonus you can listen to melissa talk about a 10 step and and i guess you can listen to the other guy too i don't remember what it was about but gina's was specifically about a sex ideal i tell them okay do the sex ideal so at each part i give them like a day sometimes two days so the whole thing shouldn't take more than two weeks. And then we come back and we do our fifth step. So I'm gonna stop there. And on Thursday, I'll just kind of finish with five through 12. And then starting then next Monday, we'll just pick back up with the book. So um, we will pause on this for now. <laughs>